This morning, I'm going to be speaking on a subject that, uh, that I'm very passionate about. Uh, last Saturday morning, a week ago last Saturday morning, I was working through uh, last week's message, uh, putting the finishing touches. Saturdays for me, basically, I've already got the sermon and we written it out and, uh, and the scriptures. And so I like to go over it. I pray over it and uh, seek God. And as I was just going through it, and, and I had something planned that uh, for this particular week. In fact, I was planning on doing a three-week series. And by the way, just want to let you know, next week we're going to start a series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And uh, I really want to encourage you, don't miss this. We're going to be talking about the sovereignty of God and what that means and for the Christian. And, and, uh, and I, I really want to encourage you to be here. But as I was preparing it, it was uh, last week's, and just going through it, uh, Lord God began to speak to my heart about what I'm going to be speaking on this morning. And it came to me in about five minutes. Can I just tell you, sermons do not come to me in five minutes. Uh, they're like, uh, for any ladies, they're like birthing a, a child, uh, birthing a, a sermon. I mean, they, sometimes uh, they, they come a little bit quick. Sometimes they're a little bit slow. But it, it's a process. And, uh, and sometimes they take days. And, and, uh, and as I'm praying it, you know, and I never, ever, want to go up before the people that I preach to and just go ahead and give information. Uh, I First of all, when I'm preaching it and I'm looking at it, I'm praying about it. And, okay, God, uh, you're the first one. I'm the first one that's hearing this. And, Lord, what are you speaking to me personally? So before I get up here to, and preach to you, I'm doing repenting and uh, I'm doing some adjustments in my life. And so I just want to let you know uh, that pastors, everyone across this nation, this world, uh, we have to seek God in forgiveness, and we need grace in our lives as well. But this word came to me in, 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 in about five minutes, and, uh, and I want to just let you know, uh, just right off the top right here, I love America. I love this nation. Make no mistake about it. I, uh, just in case you want to know, I love this nation. If we were go, if we were to go into war, and uh, I know I'm older, and right now I know they don't do it, but if if the, if the need was there, and we needed men to go ahead to the front lines, I would go there in a heartbeat. Uh, even though I've got eight kids, uh, it, I would go there in a heartbeat because of the men and women that have went before me and secured our freedom and the the liberty that we have got to enjoy and the blessings that we've got to enjoy. And so I just want to kind of throw that out there. And, and I was thinking about a question that came to me, which thus comes to this subject. And you probably have seen this over the last couple of months. What, make America great again. And I began to think, it had been kind of what was small in my mind. And I said, well, what really does make a nation great? And so we're going to look at something, uh, by the way, not from a worldly uh, uh, point of view. We're going to look at what God's word has to say. Does anybody want to hear what God's word has to say concerning what makes a nation great? Let's take a, let, let me ask you, I'm going to put some things here on the screen. What makes a nation great? Is it military might, wisdom, wealth, getting along, intelligence, powerful people? 
I want, I want you to kind of just take a look at that because there are a lot of people would think that, uh, that a compilation of those things or maybe just a, a couple of those things is what makes a nation great. But let me read some scriptures that just kind of sets up some things that kind of debunks uh, those things. Proverbs 11.4 says this, Riches will not provide security in the day of wrath and judgment. But righteousness rescues from death. Now that word, righteousness, I want you to underline it. That's a key word in this sermon that you're going to be hearing today. It says righteousness rescues a nation, okay, a person, a family, whatever, a business from death. Psalm 33, 16 says this, The best equipped army cannot save a king nor is a great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. Obviously, we live in a different generation, different weapons. We may have the atomic bomb, but it says it will not save us. Psalm 146, don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. Wow. Then in Galatians 1.10, let me bring the application to this. It says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? We have people that are going through the election process right now and are obviously trying to win the approval of human beings. Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. What makes a nation great? We just all get along. No, there's sometimes that, that a good leader will tell the people the truth of what is going on, and he'll do it in a, in a righteous way. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Wow. Now, these are, these are some great scriptures that just kind of all of a sudden cut the legs out from some of the things that we, we put our trust and we put our hope in, especially when it comes to our country. You know, man, if we just had a, a powerful leader, if we just had a, you know, a greater army, we just had more money, you know, as a nation, then we would be okay. So what does make a nation great? Now, this is, this is the scripture that we're going to be really kind of just taken apart right here this morning. Proverbs 14, 34. The Bible, not my, not my opinion, but the Bible says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. The Bible makes it absolutely clear that, that righteousness it lifts a nation. It elevates a nation. It props a nation up. It thrives under righteousness. But it's sin that brings disgrace to nations. Now, I want you to feel the weight of this, this scripture. I'm going to read it from a couple other different translations here this morning. And I, and I hope that you catch this. Verse 34 from another translation says this. Righteousness makes a nation great. But sin diminishes any people. So he's talking about righteousness. Uh, and it says that 
sin will begin to diminish the essence of a great nation. It, It begins to go down, okay? Let's look at another translation. Where it, where it describes what you're saying, well, righteousness, well, what is that? Let's look at the same verse. And it says, doing what is right lifts people up, but sin brings judgment to any nation. Sin brings judgment to any nation. Now, why am I bringing up this topic, topic of greatness? Here it is, folks. I'm just going to be right straight up with you. I want America to be great again. Here's the fact of the matter. These are indisputable facts. We are in great debt right now. I I can't even, uh, I can't wrap my mind around this. Right now, the elected officials over the last years, decade, or last couple of decades, we are over $19 trillion in debt. That's Republicans and Democrats. These are the people who are our leaders who we have elected, okay? And so we want you to go ahead and represent us. $19 trillion in debt. Can you imagine if you were hired to to give leadership for a company and you were the new CEO and and they want a profit and all of a sudden, I mean, here they are, they're they're in the plaque, they're doing well, and all of a sudden, I mean, the company goes in the red, what do they do? You lose your job, you will get fired, okay? So we're we're in great debt, there's no question about it. But, But what's even more, troubling, which I want to spend a little time in, we're in great debt morally. The moral decline in our nation uh, is, this is the most troubling thing to me for those who have been around uh, my age and that are older than me uh, are very troubled to where our nation is at. Uh, We watched uh, this year in 2015, our Supreme court uh, declared uh, same-sex marriages, overturned the states, which we voted on, okay, as citizens, and said, you know, that we can have, and redefine marriages and same-sex marriages. Um, And I want to just kind of, just bring some things here, and I want to kind of bring some weight here, because I'm building towards something here. Couples Living together. U.S. News and World Report says more are living together now than are tying the knot. Half the women between the ages of 15 and 44 have cohabitated. Uh, Children birthed out of wedlock. Half of all births in America are born out of wedlock. I remember uh, when we were when one of our children was born at the hospital, and I've been over to here Citrus Hospital and seen many of the moms and the parents that have had children. And they say it's lucky if they get three or four maybe a burst a week where they're, it's, it's, it's a husband and wife that are bringing a child uh, into the world. Most of the births that are happening here in Citrus County overwhelmingly are born out of wedlock. Many of them are s- to single moms. More than 72% of African Americans are born out of wedlock. Studies have, have proved this, that, that, that most of those births, there are no involved fathers uh, after their birth. And studies show that a lack of a role model of a father is an express train right to prison. Now, I'm just giving you some facts of what is happening right now. And then the area of porn. Um, Covenant Eyes, a Christian organization, uh, 
reported this, that the number of searches for, a, for porn sites since 2015, right up to the present time, are almost 3 billion hits. On your mobile devices, the mobile devices, the smartphones, one of five mobile searches are for porn. Listen to this. 64% of men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. Ouch. 51% of male and 32% of female students first viewed porn before their teenage years. Moms and dads, check what your son and daughter is up to on the internet. 67, listen to this, this one is really troubling. 67% of young men and 49% of young women say viewing porn is an acceptable way to express one's sexuality. That's where we're at uh, in, in the area of our sexuality. And then I think of this year uh, with the ruling of the Supreme Court and what is happening to religious liberty. Uh, and it, it, that is one is probably one of the most troubling uh, businesses that, uh, that don't want to sell flowers or a cake for a, for a homosexual or a lesbian wedding, okay, have lost their business. They've been sued they, and they've lost their businesses because they say, I can't participate in something that I don't agree with. Now, they've served these people People. They've served them flowers, fl- served them cakes and cookies and all that. But when it came to, say, being a part of an event, say, I can't do this. And there's been many people that have lost their businesses because of that. Listen to what the Bible says in light of what I've just read to you in the statistics. Uh, Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, I understand for, for people that don't have a, 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 a reference point as the Bible as the guide for their life and don't know the Lord, I can understand that. But we as a nation have changed what's going on spiritually in our lives. Now, the Bible declares in Psalm 33, 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. So if the Bible says blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, I want to ask this question, how do we get to that place of where America can be really blessed again? Because, folks, when we're in this kind of debt, morally and spiritually, okay, we're in trouble right now. And the bill's going to have to be paid. And, and I'm asking the question, I, as a pastor and as a Christian, as one of God's sons, God, what can I do personally? And what can we do as Christians? What practical things can we do? First of all, we need to ask a very important question. The question is this. What's going to be the standard, okay, by how we turn things around? Is it going to be the world's way or is it going to be God's way? Is it going to be God's word or is it going to be man's word? Man's ways or God's ways? Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There's a way that appears right unto a man, but in the end, it leads to death. 
There's a way that seems like, well, man, this kind of just makes sense. Let's do it this way. And the Bible says when we just kind of do it in our own wisdom, in our own strength, he says it adds up to whatever it may be. Anything that's outside of God's word, okay, it ends up in death. And I want to say this to this. Now, when I'm speaking here this morning, if you are a follower of Christ, you said, Jesus, be my Savior. And Lord, I surrender my life to you. That means something. And God is looking for us to surrender all of our life, not just part, you know, just, you know, our su- a Sunday morning to him. He wants Monday through Saturday. He wants every part of us, financially, our sexualized, everything. He wants it to be under his lordship. So what, what is going to be our standard? I hope it's going to be God's standard. I want you to take a look. This is a, a pivotal verse for every Christian that is here this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16, it says, all scripture is God-breathed, okay? Now, some of you are here, you're new Christians, and you say, well, this Bible right here, it, it was written by man. And I, say, I would say, absolutely. But it was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it says, it's God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, And what? Training in righteousness. Remember, we're going back. What exalts a nation? What makes a nation powerful? Righteousness. Why? The the word brings us up to the standard of righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that servant, okay, is you and I, as well as our elected officials. We call our elected officials many times public servants, okay? It would be good, okay, that our public servants would have God's word in their life. Amen? Anybody would say amen to that. Now, I'm bringing up this topic uh, here this morning and something I've been praying about for a month. But here's, here's the thing. There are a lot of Christians who really are not applying God's word to their life. They apply it to a Sunday morning, but they're not applying to God's life. And, and, and God wants us to apply all of it. And, and I've seen the Christian community. It's not translating to real life, and especially to the area of leadership and trusting in God's ways. Now, here's where I'm going to get a little bit controversial here this morning, but I'm not afraid of that. The reason why is because I'm going to, this, is, this is my foundation This is my truth here today. So when I talk to you here this morning, I pray everyone in here has an open heart, a teachable heart, okay? So if you have an argument, you're going to have an argument with God's word. I've been watching the last couple of months Christian leaders, pastors, people that are high-profile people in the Christian world here in America. I'm, I'm seeing pastors, and I'm seeing Christians overall that are endorsing right now candidates who are not righteous. Uh, people who, who, uh, who are not followers of Christ. Do they profess to be Christians? Oh, absolutely. Almost every single one is except one. I mean, and he's right out there. I mean, this guy's honest. And, 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 and here's the question. 
Are they Christians? And, and you just say, well, wait a second. Time out, pastor. Uh, you know, we're not to judge anyone. And I want to tell you something. If you use that logic and you use the verse in the Bible, you know, thou shalt not judge, you are quoting the, 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 a verse in the Bible that is so misquoted. Uh, in fact, I want to tell you that that verse is right up my wheelhouse because that's the, that's the chapter that I got saved in. When I was reading it, it was that chapter, Matthew chapter 7. Is, that was the moment in my life at 19 years of age, man. I mean, because I was that person. My, my parents and my friends and said, you're the most judgmental person I've ever met in my life. And I said, no, I'm not, you know, and I really was. I just didn't know it. I was blind. And uh, and the context of, the, of this statement that Jesus says, thou shalt not judge, what is really interesting, he's talking about leadership right there. Not only just spiritual leadership, but people that will lead. And, uh, and, uh, and he makes this, this, this statement right here and about it's really not judging, it's, it's the heart behind judging people and, and not having a haughty uh, spirit, a prideful spirit that when we call someone out because the context, you gotta look at context when we, we and Jesus makes this, it's gonna be right up here on the screen. He says, thus by their fruit, you will recognize them. Well, guess what? Okay, uh, he's, when he's talking about leadership, he says you'll recognize them. Uh, who's righteous and who's not? Who are wolves in sheep's clothing and who are, are righteous people? Guess what? In order to do that, you've got to make a judgment. And the way that you make a judgment is you look at the fruit in your life. And so this morning, I'm, I'm going to be looking and, and talk to my brother Calvary, uh, Calvary here this morning is how do we go ahead and see someone that, that is righteous and, and, and what, what, is, what is the test? What, how do we, how, what should we first look at? We, here's a question that we need to ask, okay? We need to be asking ourselves during this season because in just a few weeks, March 15th, a very important day is coming forth. And some of you that are, that when it comes to politics, I, mean, you say, I hate it. I don't, I hate, I see people arguing about it. And, and some of you know nothing about this. You're, you're maybe what I would call a low information voter, but I want to give you some great information today because what I have to say today, this is, this is the foundation behind our votes and what we're, where we're going towards. So here, write this word down, their character. You'll know them by their fruit. Okay. Character matters. What's coming out of their mouth? Okay, not just right now during the election season, uh, but what's coming out of their mouth? Uh, uh, is there a lot of pride? Do they talk about I, 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 what I have done? Okay, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a red flag right there, right away. Uh, are, are, do, do lies come forth? Okay, is there profanity that's coming forth in their lives? How's their relationships? What, what, what is their relationship uh, with their family? Uh, uh, have they been through divorces? And I'm not putting people down that's been through divorce, but uh, I look at some of those things, okay? Uh, what's their relationship? What's their finances like, okay? So those are some of the things that we look at. Now, I've heard this statement probably in the last couple of months, probably 30 times. Uh, we're not electing a pastor-in-chief we're electing a commander-in-chief. And uh, I was reading something. I, I'm going right now in my own personal time. I'm reading the book of Deuteronomy. And I came across Deuteronomy chapter 17 this week. 
And I want you to see something. Now, what elevates a nation? What makes a nation great? What is it? What is it? Righteousness. Okay, we're not electing a pastor-in-chief. We're, we're, we're electing a commander-in-chief. Well, I want to kind of just, I want to take you to Deuteronomy. It's not there in your notes. Okay, I asked Alex to put this on here. This is talking about leadership and the king that's going to be coming forth. When you enter the land, the Lord your God, this is the promised land, the Lord your God has given you, and you have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us. So the, the people were involved. Let us send a king over us like all the nations around us. But be sure to appoint you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. Down to verse 18. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law. It's talking about the scriptures, okay? The first five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He says he's to, he's to have for himself the scroll, a copy of this law, and taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Did you know that? That, that here's what, what, what God says. He says, I want your leader, I want the king to have right there in his hands. I want him going over it. I want him reading it. Why? Because it was righteousness that would keep the nation not only safe, but it would also thrive. So here it is, folks. Yes, I know that we're, we're not electing a pastor in chief, but uh, we want to see something. We have an opportunity. We should be seeking and praying for a godly, respectable person to lead our nation. That should be a minimal. I mean, we should be praying for that. And we will pay a high price as a people if we don't hold our election, elected leaders to a high standard. One of my, fa- in fact, my favorite Christian author, he's a national guy. I heard him speak, probably one of the most humble people that I know. Uh, and he doesn't get involved in politics. He doesn't endorse particular candidates. And uh, his name is Max Licato. And, uh, and he came across something, and, uh, and, uh, and he wrote these words, and I want you to see, th- these are his words, because there's been one of our elected officials who professes to be uh, a Christian. And he says, I'm speaking up, and, uh, and he, he says he was very troubled to what he sees going on and how the Christian community is responding to this person. He says, I'm speaking up because we have a person who rep- repeatedly brandishes the Bible and calls himself a Christian. And when you start belittling people publicly, something is off. He said, I'm a Christian. He was asked... Have you ever asked for forgiveness? And by the way, his answer to that question was no. Never, he says, I've never asked God for forgiveness. And, and, he, and the kind, he says, I can't imagine that. I'm just shaking my head going, how does that work? Does a swimmer say I've never gotten wet? Does a musician say I've never sung a song? How does a person claim to be a Christian and never need to ask for forgiveness. Wow. 
Godly character matters for the shaping of a nation for good and blessing. If you don't believe me, there's a book in the Bible called First and Second Kings. It's about the leaders, okay, that, that were leading the nation. Every single time that you see a leader who takes up the reins and says, yes, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to be an example, they let the priests do their priestly duties. But these were men that decided to be an example of righteousness. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. But when the nation, when, when, I mean, every time it says uh, they decided to follow God, it, I mean, the nation was blessed. But when, when the nation said, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and live like a pagan, the nation went downhill. There's, there, there was no disputing that. Now, here's where I want to go here this morning. Two things to remember if you're a follower of Christ. These are, these are, these are biblical facts. Number one. First of all, you're a citizen of heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? We are first and foremost citizens of heaven. In fact, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it declares that you and I, that our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as a citizen of heaven... Uh, you and I have two particular responsibilities, absolute, uh, for every single one of us, okay? Two responsibilities I want to go over here. Number one, you and I are called to be salt and light. In the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached on a mountainside, Jesus uses these two metaphors of, of, of us uh, of having the qualities of light and salt in our lives. And he says here, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you, Mike Rarick, and everybody here in this room are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, and you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as a citizen uh, of heaven, you and I are called to live a righteous life, to really be shining brightly. And I think one of the ways that we can do it, I mean, just if we take last week's message in the series that I'm going to live a legacy of love, I'm going to love God with everything I have, and I'm going to love people, I'm going to tell you something, you're a good citizen. I'm going to love my family well. I'm going to love my husband well. I'm going to love my wife well, my kids well, my neighbors well, my brothers and sisters in the church well. I'm going to help out people, you know, that are down and out. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to give to them. I'm going to do those things. I mean, let them see your good deeds. God says, you're shining, man. And he says, that's going to help a nation and a person's life to be blessed. So we're, we're called to be salt, okay, as well. Salt preserves things. Salt makes things 
better. And that's what we can do in our society. In Citrus County, you and I have the ability, depending how we choose to live our life, if we choose to live in righteousness, we can make Citrus County better just by how we live our lives. We can make it, we can make, make it better. And being an example to people that don't know him yet. So we want to shine brightly. Now, I want to kind of take this statement, and I want to go to, to our founding fathers because so much of... Uh, uh, now, I'm personally, I'm a history buff. I don't know if there's any... Is there anybody history likes history in here? All right. To, to those, I, you'll appreciate, to those who don't like history, you need to pay attention to this because this, this, this is about you and about our nation. This is super important. One of our founding fathers, uh, the signer of the Declaration of of Independence, Benjamin Franklin, I I want you to see these two statements that he says, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. That's why people are coming to this nation. They, 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 They love the thought of freedom. He says, but it's only virtuous people. And as nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. Now, here's where America, why we're not great. We have more people in jails and in prison compared to any country in, in, in the world. We're backslidden as a nation. Why? Because we haven't allowed Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. He's been, I mean, he's been kicked out of schools. He's being kicked out of court, okay, in so many different areas. He says, so it's a virtuous people are capable of, and I believe that virtue is found in godliness. He made this, this statement right here. He says, whereas true religion and good morals are the only solid foundations of public liberty and happiness. I want you to see what he recognized. He says, he says it's, it's religion and good morals are, are, are the foundations of public liberty, I mean having freedom and happiness, it is hereby earnestly recommended to the several states to take the most effectual measures for the encouragement thereof. He says, people, we got to be seeking God. we got to be going after him. It's found in him. And then probably one of the greatest presidents of all time, and it was our first president, a very godly man. George Washington said this, religion and morality are the essential pillars of a civil society. He recognized that, that it is, it's going to be morality, it's going to be in religion and morality that will prop up a nation, that will make it, it will, will rise up. And then one of our, our third presidents, also a signer of the Declaration of Independence, and he said this, one of the most telling statements. He says, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And folks, I just want to, the Constitution, this is where our First Amendment, our Second Amendment, these, you know, these are, this was something that was, that, that came about, I believe it was a supernatural thing. Our founding fathers, most of us have not heard this, but these, most of them were godly men who loved God, and when they were working out and, and putting it together, how are we going to govern ourselves? And listen, these guys, most of the Constitution was, was founded right here 
So much is found in the Constitution. It comes from, from God's Word. And then they would get in arguments, and they would begin to discuss things, and they would do a timeout, and they said, guys, time out. And you know what they would do? When they, were, they found themselves arguing, let's go pray right now. So, I mean, and, and let's pray, let's see what God's Word has to say, and let's see what He has to say to us. So that was, that, he said, if, if you have a constitution, it, it was made for a moral people, for a godly people. It's not made for a people who are pagans, who don't want God. And that's one of the reasons why our nation is in trouble. reason why I say that right now. Think about this. America truly is in trouble from, from 18, anywhere from 16 to 18% of America is, unchur- is in church okay, on a Sunday morning. That was never the history of our nation. So, I mean, it's it's. I mean, what does that say? That it's saying that that God and, and gathering together and to worship Him is not a priority in our life. And 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 this is one of the reasons why we are struggling and we are praying that God would touch this nation. So, first of all, uh, our our first responsibility is to be salt and light. Our second one is this: we are to pray. You have a mandate to be praying for our nation. It's not there in your notes, but I want you to put it down. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You have been commanded to pray for elected officials, to those who are, who are over you from a government position. I ask you a question. Uh, when was the last time you prayed for the president? Okay, You may not like him. Uh, you may not agree with him. I don't care. God says you're to pray for him. And there's, it doesn't matter whether you agree with him or not. You and I are to be praying for those that are in positions of authority. We're to be praying for them. And we're praying for them that they would know him and that they would walk in wisdom and they would serve him. So, But I, wanna, I, I want you to see the weight of this verse. And it's a famous verse. It's quoted often. But here it is, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Part of the way that our land will be healed is when the church gets serious again about praying for, for our elected officials and for people who do not know God yet. Are you praying for our nation? Are you praying for our teachers and for those who are, who are in positions of authority? Are you praying, God, I pray, Lord, that they would turn to you. Now, it's something that's got... Now, the, the weight behind Second Chronicles 7 right here, these are people that are, are humbling themselves before God. They throw themselves, Lord, our nation, Lord, is in trouble. God, we as a people, we have sinned against you. Lord, have mercy on us. Grant us repentance, God. May we turn back to you. History has shown it. It's happened two times in our nation. We've had two great awakenings in our nation. They're in the 1700s and they're in the 1800s. It was powerful. Men and women were away from God and then a major revival in our nation turned around for the good. And then this is a telling scripture, Proverbs 21.1. The Bible declares the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. So I know. Here's what happens. As I am praying, uh, and as the church is praying for our elected officials right now, God can change things around simply by his people 
praying humbly and powerfully before God. God can change king's hearts, change events, and begin to turn things around. So, number one, here's the first thing to remember, that we're a citizen of heaven, and we're to be salt and light, and we're to be praying. I, I pray that's on your heart. If you want to see America great, I encourage you to shine and to be salt and to be praying. I encourage you to come on Thursdays and come. We pray for our nation. Right now, for the last month, we have been praying diligently. God, raise up men and women of righteousness. Raise up men because it, it's righteous people, not pagan people that lead a nation okay, into, into greatness. It's righteous people. And then second of all, uh, here it is. You and I are a citizen of America. And I hope you're a proud citizen. Some people say, I, I don't like my country. Well, uh, I like the freedom that we enjoy right now. But I want you to see something in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Listen to this. It is no mistake that you right now are living in Citrus County right now. You are living in the state of Florida. You are even living in this nation. And during this year of 2016, God appointed you and I to be people of history. And history is not just going around in circles. History is not It is going down a straight line. And there is going to be an ending. Okay, And there's going to be coming forth a perfect and righteous government. It's called the kingdom of God. And Christ is going to be the ultimate ruler. But until then, until then, we right now are citizens of America. And if we're a citizen of America, a responsibility as a citizen, and I say this as a citizen, not just as a pastor, here's a, here's a responsibility, vote. Some of you say, oh, I don't like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't even know who to vote for right now. You're praying, say, God, show me who is righteous. Who's before us? God, show me who is righteous. Out of, listen to this. Out of the six million votes that were cast on November 7th, the year 2000, in the state of Florida, that the election in 2000 was decided, listen, by 537 votes. After, the, after uh, November, we didn't know who the winner was until a month later of the, of the presidential election. Five, and where was it determined? Right here in our state. People say, well, my vote won't make a difference. Well, it sure made a difference back then. Here's what happens, and here's what I want you to, I want you to hear this. My vote demonstrates what I'm praying for, what I stand for. I stand for righteousness. I will stand for righteousness. Why? Because I want my nation and I want my country to be blessed. I want our nation to be walking in righteousness because I know when that happens, it's connected to blessing. I want you to hear what Ted Cruz said, one of our elect, I mean, one of the, the men that are running for office. I want you to hear this and see this. He says, far too long, Christians have been staying home, have been seating the public square to non-believers. 
And when we look at the state of the country, when our heart weeps at what's happening to the country, and we wonder why it is that the federal government is waging war on life, is waging war on marriage, is waging war on religious liberty, is it any wonder when 54 million evangelical Christians stayed home in the year 2012 and did not vote? If we allow our leaders to be selected from non-believers, we shouldn't be surprised when our leaders don't share our values. Amen, Ted Cruz. Now I want to take something from a man who is a, a godly man. He's a prophet. The Bible talks about, about prophets and apostles and evangelists and teachers and pastors. And this is a man full of God's love and God's compassion. We've showed videos. His name is Dutch Sheets. And he says, regarding the upcoming elections, he says, prayerfully agree with me. We vote for a person of decency and honor. Integrity matters. We vote for someone that cannot be bought or sold. Crony capitalism is evil. We don't jump from the frying pan of another failed government to the fire of another chameleon who changes colors at will. We remember that not everyone in Washington, D.C. has been part of the problem. Be wise and discerning. God has been sending some good men and women to D.C., Amen. People say, oh, they're all corrupt. That is not true. There are men and women right now in D.C. and throughout this nation who are righteous and who love God and love this nation. He says, we vote for humility, which God exalts, morality and righteousness, which exalts a nation. We choose substance and specific ideas over shallow rhetoric, fame, showbiz, events, and exciting promises. Does anybody remember 08? We vote for a strict constitutionalist. It was born through prayer and based on scripture. And we remember that we are also voting for the next two to three Supreme Court justices, keep this one there, Alex, who will undoubtedly shape our nation and lives for decades. They could possibly do more good or bad for our nation than the next president. I just hang right there. So right now we have eight Supreme Court justices one of them just recently died. And, uh, and, and it, it, there's so much in the Bible when the, do- when the Bible talks about righteousness and wisdom and justice. And, uh, and, and I'm praying that we have men or women who come to, this, to the next appointment who will be godly people. We have that opportunity. And it's going to be the president that's going to nominate, okay, people who will be either righteous or and, and, and believe in our Constitution. And, and so that's really important. So I, I'm huge on this one. If anybody wants to see Roe versus Wade overturned, okay, this is huge. We vote for an uncompromising, consistent, radically pro-life person. We must have this. By God's grace, we end up with a born-again, praying, Bible-reading, moral, humble, honest, and wise person in the White House. And he says this, be very careful, pray, listen to your heart where the Holy Spirit lives. I promise you, we're voting for the destiny of our nation.
Proverbs 16, 12, and then we're going to take communion together. Kings detest wrongdoing for a throne is established through righteousness. And so, as Christians, I can tell you how to vote. I'm not telling who to vote for, giving you a specific person. But we start, our starting point is righteousness. You may not agree with that person on everything. That's where, if you don't and you feel that they're doing anything immoral, anything against our Constitution, you and I can pray for them. Anybody that goes there, I want to tell you this, they're not perfect. Not one of their candidates that are being presented, they're all people uh, that have issues, hang-ups or whatever, but there's definitely some people that love God there. I pray that we would be, we would be obedient and say, God, Lord, uh, God, you bring forth, Lord, someone that's going to lead out of humility and out of dependence on you. And I believe that some good things can happen for us. Let's pray.